You're listening to Oh Yoshi Did It Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi, Chris Gore, and Tana Manu. Hey everyone, this is Yoshi. This is a new episode of Yoshi Din. I'm here back in Los Angeles because I have to pick up my cousin unannounced. He just showed up, so I had to pick him up and bring him to LA to have a um, little mini vacation. So it gave me an um, opportunity finally to do a podcast with my great friend and somebody I admired a lot. Mr. Chris Gore. Hey, Chris. Wait, wait a second. You admire me? That's that's that's. Uh, now I'm embarrassed. Now I'm embarrassed. I like I, I like the stuff you do. And oh, I, thank I, you. We'll, we'll get thank in you. detail why. I just like anyone who are passionate in stuff. Even if I don't know what uh, into something, if I meet somebody that's interested and they're passionate about something, I'm interested in that and interested in that person. And all the things you talk about, whether comic book, video games, movies, and television show. You have an interesting opinion, and there's something that I, fo- I really um, find valuable information for me. And you're a fun guy too. I oh, like, well, thank I, you. I, I like I, your laughter. I like I like to have a good time. And I, I do I, like to have a good time. That is one of my favorite things. And I like a good time. I like the fact that you went out of your way to contact me. You know, and I, well, I, really, I like what I like what you do. I mean, having listened to the DVD as a former listener mm-hmm. of the DVD ASA podcast. Um, I loved you on the show because I feel like what you did on DVD ASA is you were the counter to David Cho's ego. He, he obviously, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this so much. I, I can only speak as a listener mm-hmm. of the show. By the way, I, I still believe the show is very, very good and Dave is a compelling guy and I think you should support him. I, um, I didn't have any... Why? <laughs> It doesn't hurt me. Yeah, well, your fingers are crossed. I can see your fingers are no, crossed. No, but I mean, it's it's he. People like him no matter what, and and I think, like David Cho a yeah. lot. I, I I think the show is amazing. I think the dynamic is clearly he's trying to be Howard Stern, where it's it's he is Howard Stern, the ego, the id unleashed. It's here's all of my thoughts. I don't judge me. I don't give a shit. You know, Asakura is the laughter, and she's sexy and funny. She's Robin Quivers. All the other people are the the whack pack. You were the counter. You were the the person who questioned David. So he would say things that you say that's crazy, or and he would also pick on you. Mm-hmm. You were you were never bother me. It's annoying. It bother you because you have a sense. Of, it doesn't bother you because you have a sense of humor about yourself. So, so you to me were the grounding element of the show because I'd always go like the guy I identify with when I'm listening to the show, the person I identify with, the person I like the most mm-hmm. was you on the show because, because you were that you could be picked on and it didn't bother you. You know, you would, you would have jokes at your own expense, didn't bother you. You would say jokes where you didn't give a crap, you didn't give a fuck. What I just don't like, you. I just didn't like when he withhold information or exaggerate something. And, um, that's fine. I, I, that's I, th- fine. I think this is true for anyone. I think. If you're not a fair person, I just, you know, it's just that's not something. I, well, I don't know. I don't know the political ins and outs, but I do know that you were you mm-hmm. were uh, fired from the show, and they yeah. talk, they talked about it on the show. Yeah, and and I know you don't want to go into detail here because you'll talk about it on, on another podcast, a larger podcast than 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 this one. 
right? Am I wrong? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, on a bigger podcast, you're gonna, you're gonna, but I, but I just think I can only speak as a listener. Sure. And I'll say that I think you. Really but but you are biased because you are my friend. Let's be well, let's be clear on that. Well, too. yes, but also like I I didn't know you mm-hmm. before the show. Sure. I knew. I started listening to the show and I said that guy is hilarious. That guy has something to say, and you would counter things. You you would you would make you made David show more likable because you would you would question him, and no one else on the show questioned him because they're all sycophants. Or, you know, Asa would, will laugh and be hot, and that's her role. But you were the, and I feel like you being the uh, Asa will, uh, I think Asa, do you ask a question to him? But what Do you what? think we, should, we could get her as a guest on this show? Ooh, I don't. Would that be, would that be? I, I tried to do it, but it's such an awkward thing now, and I don't want I wouldn't do it for a while. No, no, don't no. Do it. Don't but do I, it. I don't want to put her in an awkward situation either. Right, right. And, but I, know, I thought, you know, I thought, I thought. Can I, I just compliment mm-hmm. you on Yoshi Didn't? You know what I love? Mm-hmm. You don't do stupid sound effects. I want to applaud you. I want to applaud you for that. That's not a sound effect. That's actually me applauding. It's actually me applauding that you don't go out of your way to add dumb sound effects. Well, I feel like there's two more- reasons, because I don't know how to do it, and we have no budget for the show. Well, that's, that's, that's true. That's the only reason. That's true. But the, the, the I like only- silly stuff. Right. I mean, like, to me, Fred Norris was the guy who could do that well. No one could do it as, as, as well as Fred Norris. Um, we're talking about Fred Norris from the Howard Stern Show, who clearly, mm-hmm. when, when David Show introduced the, special, the sound effects, then I was like, you're just trying to redo the Stern Show. You're doing, you know, the Asian version of, the, of Howard Stern. But you and which I, is, which is fine, I yeah. guess. It's, and you and I, we're not, we're at similar age, and, and uh, it's not a bad thing to emulate. You know, people mm. forget how big Howard was, eighties and nineties, right? Two thousand so. I, I love Howard Stern. And I'm on. I do a, a weekly show. I do Geek Time mm-hmm. on Howard One Hundred One with Ralph Cirilla. Okay, so every Friday. Yeah. So I, you know, that, this is my veiled connection. Is I know the guy who is um, Howard Stern's stylist and hairdresser. <laughs> Ralph Cirilla, who also is an amazing host yeah. on Geek Time. If you listen to Geek Time on, on Howard 101 Fridays at noon Pacific, and, uh, 9 a.m. West, West Coast, whatever. It's on, it's on Sirius XM. Sure. Um, uh, Ralph's an amazing host. That guy, that guy knows geek stuff uh, backwards and forwards. He's, he's, he's amazing. So, um, I mean, he's sort of like, he definitely is one of the guys that gets made fun of on that Stern show. Like, look, if, if you're going to be a part of the Stern show, you're going to get made fun of. But that guy really knows his geek stuff, which is why I appreciate that he includes me in his show every week. But, uh, but we're going to see him at Comic-Con. Yeah. And then I don't want to get too much into Dave because, you know... Um, this is... This is well, no, no, no. I, I, want, I want to be fair and, and, and... You should talk about it another time. I'm saying no, that... No, no. But I, don't, I, 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 will, I will say this much. I, I, I do think... I do think... I do believe that Dave knows what he's doing. It's just that with me, I'm one of those kinds of guy that, okay, let me give you an example. Like, Joe Rogan had this thing with Carlos Mencia or any other comedians, and he, you know, he basically said you were stealing jokes and whatnot. And this is a controversial issue among comedians. And I think a lot of comedians appreciate what he did for them. Now, let's say for a moment's sake, and this is not even true, but let's say I catch Joe stealing somebody's joke. Well, now I'm going to stop listening to you. Well, mm. So it doesn't matter how many times they something, say something to me. Once he crossed that line where he said he's, you know, he, one of the two reasons I got fired was not being team player and unwillingness I'm, I'm to do things that he asked me to do. But I've had... Ex- can, can, I have, I just, can I just say, mm-hmm. not only will I be a team player, 
on Yoshi didn't, I will be a double team player. <laughs> that is, that, you can count on that. Uh, but no, but, but, but my, my, my thing was, if you're going to ask me team player and when you demonstrated, you don't do that. That's why, I, that's pretty much why I was like, no go with him, you know? And whenever, whenever I raise certain issues with him, he ignore it. Mm. Like, he doesn't have a problem with throwing me under the bus, but he is sensitive when I do that to well, him. Well, I think there's also something of like, mm-hmm. you know, we know doing a show, sure. we're doing a show here, a podcast, um, there are things that you're doing for the show. Yes. I mean, I've done some, uh, like, discussion shows. Sure. Where you're supposed to debate. So there's some segments on shows where you're supposed to debate something. And, like, both people, or the people that are on the panel, the discussion panel show, you want a good discussion. Sure. I want you to... I want you to take your opinion and plant a flag and go, that is my opinion. This is what I think of this. And, I'm, and then I'm going to step up and you're going to challenge me and I'm going to rise to the occasion. And, and I feel like when you're doing a show, there are things that are for the show. Now, how that translates off camera, do you mm-hmm. take that, that like, you know, uh, whatever you were upset about, do you take that off, you know, off camera or off the podcast? Does that, does that resonate after? Or do you high five and go, that was a great show? Even in fact, that insult where you insulted me personally was funny, or I thought it was funny. Sure. So I, I, I don't know how much of that, but but I'm only bringing this up. I'm only bringing up DVD ASA and Cho, David Cho, and all that because that is my connection to you. Is yeah. I just listened to you, instantly liked you. Then I looked up clips on YouTube. Then I saw that you were on a Netflix special, and then I was like, this is a comedian that is as is uh, moral, ethical. You know, in, in terms of how you conduct yourself. Secondly, you're incredibly raw. You do what, and you gave me a great note for my comedy album, sure. which, which I took like, that like you want to get to know the person because that's something you can't copy. You could steal a joke, right? A stupid joke you can steal, but you can't steal someone's personality. Although Persona- personality, sometimes that does happen, actually. Personality, but personal stories. Like I think you asked me and my friend Tina Manu, like there are certain story or jokes whether to include it in your special, we both to- told you to do it because even if it doesn't get even the biggest laugh compared to other jokes... Oh, I guarantee they won't get the biggest laughs. But <laughs> but this is something Bill Hicks said, that like even if you're working a new material and you're not getting a big laugh, but if it's an interesting premise, an interesting story, people are well listened. It, well, it, it, it doesn't yeah. have to be like laughter. Like People yeah. are looking for experience. Well, on my comedy album, mm-hmm. which is, uh, if I could just say, it's uh, Celebrities Poop is yeah. the name of the album. You can go to celebritiespoop.com. It's actually, and, and, it's actually and, a book. Right. You buy a book, and then the book comes with uh, a download code to get the album. Sure. So what you're getting is a physical book that is a coffee table book, Celebrities Poop, which is based on a very popular children's book. It might be called Everyone Poops. Mm-hmm. And it has a bunch of celebrities pooping in the book. So... And and artwork was beautifully done by your daughter. By very my talented, daughter, very talented. Yes, by my twenty-year-old daughter. And I and, and there's a story in it I tell about uh, um, writing to John Hinckley, the presidential assassin. The, he tried to kill President Reagan. Sure. I wrote to him in prison. And I he told, wrote back to you. He wrote back to me, and I tell a story about that. And then I also talk about these are about, about my brushes with the FBI. Mm-hmm. And then I also tell a story about um, meeting Charlie Sheen sure. and lending him underground videos, and that also got me into a discussion with the FBI. These are things. These are things that will. <laughs> the stories are amusing. Well, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't I, funny when it happened to you at the time. No, it wasn't at all. Like, like you know. Yeah, it was not amusing when it, when it originally happened. But um, you know what I'm going to do? 
And, and by, by the way, can you quickly tell them the schedule just coming Thursday? Oh, okay, Next yeah. Next Thursday. Yeah, just to get into play, if you want to see Yoshi and I do a, do a podcast live together, um, Thursday, July 18th at the San Diego Comic-Con in San, at the San Diego Convention Center in San Diego, California, um, in room 25 ABC um, at 7 p.m. Yoshi Obayashi, myself, doing Pod Crash, Adrian Curry from America's Next Top Model and a bunch of other things, and uh, Stephen Kramer Glickman, comedian. The, the four of us are going to be doing a panel discussion at San Diego Comic-Con, Thursday, July 18th, 7 p.m., Room 25 ABC. If you're, if you're at San Diego Comic-Con, check it out. Um, and if you want more, if you are too lazy to write all that down, just go to facebook.com slash podcrash, which is the name of my podcast is Podcrash. Yeah, and I had a wonderful time doing it twice already. Yes, this is, this is yeah. So, Yoshi, you've been a guest on the show. Sure. Meaning, like, you were here and we were recording it. And then you were also a guest on my live show, which was at WonderCon, which in, was in front of 400 people. That was insane. And i got to say, show. I was a little nervous because, although you do, I do stand-up, but this is different. And it was really, really fun. I, the only thing I didn't like when I had to read a dialogue. Well, oh, was the fanfic yeah. theater? Yeah. Oh, we got to do the fan. Oh, I've got I've to text Giselle, Jizzy B, who I can do a shout out on the show. Um, I, I, uh, I, that's, I, I'm going to get her to do our fanfic theater. So, but so, the, but that, that panel in Anaheim, I loved it. It was really, really fun. The reaction was incredible. And it's a different kind of laughter. And... I, I'm really looking forward to doing this one in San Diego. Oh, we will do it. We will do it again. Adrian, she's, 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 she's obviously oh, she's she's a very smart, very pretty young gal, and she's, she's a really, gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Adrian is Adrian is also one of those people that's completely unafraid to talk about herself. Yeah, um, and she's very funny. Oh, she's uh, she's she's hilarious. Yeah, she has a great sense of humor about it, and that's sort of a requirement if you're going to be a friend of mine, and and be in my world. Is you need to have a sense of humor about sure. yourself. You have to. And you know, there's it's, it's trendy these days to try to be geek and nerdy. But I've heard her enough on YouTube. Oh, she's she's, she's really real into deal. she's she's, she's really real into deal. these video games. And uh, um, in fact, I show her. She has a show. She has a show every Sunday. She just plays video games. Um, she plays World of Warcraft every Sunday night. Online, so people can watch her play. Sure. And then she answers questions from fans. So I love Adrian. Um, I'm a big fan of hers. And she just got back from um, um, uh, um, Skywalker Ranch. Yes, she did the course, the course of the force, force of the course. They're basically doing like an Olympian type run with a lightsaber from Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> in Marin County, yeah, um, all the way down to San Diego Comic Con. I guess it takes. I don't know why they couldn't do that in like a couple days. How long does it take these geeks to run? They don't have. They don't have speeder bikes. They don't have a couple. They don't have a speeder bike at yeah. Skywalker Ranch. Hey, while you're talking to your audience, I'm going to refresh my drink. I'll be right back. Whoa! I almost spilled that on you. I'll be right back. All right. Give me Thirty seconds. So. Here I am in Los Angeles and interviewing Chris, and I, um, I'm going to spend next however long, hour, hour and a half, talking to Chris. His career in so many different fields. He used to write a magazine called Film Threads. He was on the show called Attack of the Show on G4 with Olivia Mung, and he also wrote 
video games magazine. He's done uh, name of the show uh, such as the X Show, the new movie show with Chris Gore. So he's got uh, tons and tons of TV experience, front of the camera, but also writing interesting articles about movie and TV business and comic book. And you know, I love once again people who are interested in things that I'm not interested in or not familiar with. And he's so passionate about it. So. Today, I'm having Chris on the show because I have so many, so much questions from a young kid from, where were you, Detroit? Yeah, uh, well, just outside of Detroit, Royal Oak, Michigan. That's where I grew up, Royal Oak. So, what was it? Wait a second, so you were saying all this stuff about me. This yeah. is kind of, I, it's, uh, it's a, you're did, reading did, my did, wiki, but but, did, but But this is, I just want to give, pick, uh, draw a picture of, for people, especially people who are, um, in another countries to show I have a real deal here that you you know um, the things you're talking about I well yeah and if I don't I mean like I know a lot about stupid things that that are fictional and don't matter I also know I also don't know a lot of there's a lot of things I don't know about yeah but that's normal Yoshi. but um I, I know a lot about things that, uh, that people would find obscure and strange to know about um, well, so so you you grew so, up. So that's kind of embarrassing to me. Yes, I grew up in Michigan, where I would describe myself as an indoor kid. I was an indoor kid, meaning I, meaning I have I have no wrinkles at my advanced age. Mm-hmm. In my in my late forties, I have I have almost zero wrinkles because I was not out in the sun, and I never smoked, and no one in my family ever smoked. So, but that also made me a nerdy kid. I mean, I I, I learned to read before kindergarten not because i cared about reading Mm -hmm. or literature i just wanted to know what times certain movies were on so i learned to read the newspaper um tv guide listing so i could find out what movies were on that i could watch and what what is it about the movie it just fascinated you at such a young age well at a young age it here's what fascinated me and this is this i think shows when you're single digit age like you're like three four years old Here's what fascinated me about about movies is that um, I, it used to bother me that no one went to the bathroom in movies. What? No one. Look, I watched The Wizard of Oz. Sure. Does Dorothy ever stop to take a piss? How they're they're on that yellow brick road for how long? They never stop to pee. They don't. There's no bathroom breaks. How many times have you been on a family trip? In a car, Wait, going so, somewhere, you have to stop to pee. You've peed at my house three, four times since you've been here. Sure. Okay. In the course of a movie, does anyone? I mean, the tin. Okay, maybe the Tin Man doesn't pee because he's made of tin. He has a tin penis, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. The Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz has a tin penis. The the Cowardly Lion definitely is a mammal. The Scarecrow, I'm not sure if he pees. So you're like three or four. This, this. I'm three or four years old, and I'm thinking because your concerns at that age are pooping and peeing, potty training, right? Sure. Right? Like you, you're, yeah. you're, you're eating, yeah. Toys, love from from mother or father. So these are your concerns as a kid, and it used to bother me, like obsessively bother me, that every movie I would watch as a kid, no one would pee. This movie blew my mind when I was five years old. Which one? My dad took me to a retrospective screening of the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, one of the greatest movies of all time. One of the greatest movies of all time, directed by Stanley Kubrick. In the film, 
you know the doctor from the movie? Sure. Uh, There's a doctor Flynn, right? He's 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 uh, uh, he's traveling from the Earth to the Moon. Sure. In the shuttle, well, he's actually going to the space station. Then from the space station, he will go to the Moon. So he's traveling. You see him in this Pan Am uh, uh, spaceship going to the space station, and in that scene, he stops. He gets up, and he goes to the bathroom. Is that right? He goes, Doctor Flynn goes to the bathroom in the movie okay and the scene is he's looking at the instructions of how to go to the bathroom in space. that's right and it's this giant long instruction and stanley kubrick being so detail oriented that he he made them come up with real instructions so if you freeze them, because there's something about like sometime material flow uh, floating yes, there. Yes. Yeah. If, if you freeze frame it, mm-hmm. and people have done it, you can find this online. If you freeze frame it, that scene from 2001 where he will, goes to the bathroom, you'll read the instructions, the real instructions. Sure. Now, when I was a kid, it freaked me out. Finally. Because it was the first movie I had seen as a child, where I said, "Oh my God, someone goes to the bathroom. This movie is real." Because all other movies before that were fake. Because they were fake because in real life you go to the bathroom. This is the first movie where someone went to the bathroom. Wait, but let me ask you. Did your dad take you to the theater to see the that? movie theater. This is like in the... This is such a serious movie for how old were you? Exactly. I was five. So, yeah, this was like... This was years after it had been out. Okay. So it was a retrospective screening. You know, and, and it was at the Dollar Theater, the cheap-ass theater. The Berkeley Theater. Did, did your dad in, ever in, in tell Berlin, you why he thought? Well, that, no, in Berkeley, Michigan. Did did why did he think this was such appropriate? It's not that there's anything terrible. It's such a mature. We classic. used to watch. We used to watch Star Trek together. Ah. So my dad and I used to watch reruns of classic Star Trek, and he knew I loved outer space stuff. I remember sitting there with, and I was very little. I must have been like three years old. Mm-hmm. Because when, when did we land on the moon? 68? 69. 69. Okay, so I was three, four that years was, old. That, that was... Um, four years old? I was born 65, so 69. It was two months after I was born. Yeah. It was July of 69. Okay, so so I my vivid memory of my dad sitting in his underwear. He had a white t-shirt on, mm-hmm. white underwear, and sitting in front of the TV pointing, we just landed on the moon. Right. We just landed on the moon. I remember him being blown away, and then we went from that to... We would watch Star Trek. Sure. Like reruns of Star Trek. He loved science fiction. He would take me to uh, his work. Well, what, 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 what did he, he do? He, he worked in computers at Chrysler. Oh. Like early. Like he studied computer science in college when that was sort of a, like a joking thing to do. Like, what yeah. would you say? And I have these vivid memories of also um, he would bring these computer cards home that had like the little. little Holes in them. Holes in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would bring boxes of those home from work so I could color on them. Because they were worthless. Yeah. The punch cards, right? So that's how they would program these giant banks of computers. Sure. So he was obsessed with all that stuff in Star Trek. So he took me to see 2001 A Space Odyssey at five. And it it blew my mind because someone went to the bathroom in a movie. And so it made it, especially the confusing ending of that film, which you kind of have to read the book to actually understand the star child. If you have not watched this movie... I, I swear. Who has not seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? If, 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 if you have not, I could comfortably say top 10 greatest film of all time. Not, Unbelievable. Not, not just tough fix, science fiction movie. We top should, 10 greatest film of all time. We should watch it tonight on my big screen. I have the Blu-ray. But, 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 it's, but it blew me away. So mm-hmm. then I became obsessed with movies where people went to the bathroom. Are you German? 
No. No. <laughs> oh, actually, part German. I'm German, English, Irish, Russian, and Polish. Okay. I'm like. That's Europe, like ten people. I'm like Europe had an orgy. I'm like I'm like one of those private movies. If you know what I'm talking about, the label private, sure. the adult film label. Anyways, so I'm I'm like Europe had an orgy. That's basically my roots. But but um. So I, this this was the beginning of your interest to show business stuff because Detroit's really not known for show business stuff. Right, but except for a, music. But there's a lot of people from Detroit, and I think it has to do with the weather is really mm-hmm. shitty. Even during the summer, it's too humid to go out. It's it's it, it rains. It's it's the winters suck. I feel like there's a lot of people from Michigan in the entertainment business. I mean, if you talk, we even jokingly call it the Michigan Mafia. Like I knew, I knew Sam Raimi when I was in college. He lent me a camera, a 16 millimeter Canon Scupic to make. You knew him? Yeah, yeah. Back then, I mean, he would probably barely remember me now, but he knows who I am because I've interviewed him a bunch of times sure. for Film Threat. But Sam Raimi was so cool, and he was one of the guys who was doing something. He's older than me, but he was always doing something. I mean, he's made that that new Oz movie, which I haven't seen yet. I'm really, I want to see it though. I liked it a lot. You did? Yeah, I do want to yeah. see it. I do want to see it because I hear Frank, Frank, James Franco gets the shit kicked out of him. It's, I hear it's kind of like a, an Evil Dead movie. But, um, but, but there's really not a lot to do in Michigan, so a lot of people from Michigan you know, became obsessed with film and you know, uh, 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 these sort of retro theaters popped sure. up where I got to see on the big screen movies like you know, East from Eden, James Dean. I got to see all of John Waters' movies. You know, Pink Flamingos and Desperate Living and 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 uh, Polyester. Like I saw all of John Waters' work. Like, like it, David Lynch Eraserhead would play Midnight's. I'd go see Quadrophenia Midnight's. I mean, I was I was I wanted to get most kids when they were 16 years old. They wanted to like get a car, sure, so they could get laid and go out on dates with girls and have a place to make out and lose their virginity and whatnot. But you I, had this obsession. I, I wanted to get a car so I could drive to the movie theater and see movies by myself. Sure. And not have to depend on a friend who had a car who was older or a friend's mom or my mom to drive me to the movie theater. I, 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 I wanted a car so I could go see movies. So I bought a car when I was 14 years old, one that never ran. It was a... a a Chevelle Supersport, 1969. Wait, why would you buy it at 14? You can't drive for another two years. Because I was re- I, a friend of mine uh, was helping me rebuild it, but it never ran, mm-hmm. and I ran out of money, so I ended up buying a shitty car. Anyways, that doesn't matter. I, I, I finally got a car just so I could go to movies. And I would plan my Friday out. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I'd worked it out where I had classes when I was a senior in high school where I could leave school at lunch. I would see every movie that opened that day. So every movie that opened, I would go to like the mall theater with my beat up whatever car and I would just switch theaters. So I would pay one price. This was when it was very easy to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would just go from one theater to the other and I would see every movie that opened that day. And I did this every weekend so that I, I would see every single movie that came out. And then on Saturday or Sunday, what I would do is I would drive to the... Um, to the repertory theater or the you know retro theater or the art house to see whatever art house movies opened. I saw Stranger Than Paradise at the Detroit the DIA, sure. the Detroit Institute for the Arts. They had a, a, an amazing film program um, uh, run by a guy named Elliot Wilhelm, and he he just brought incredible movies there. So and then I would see things like Eraserhead, and I would see I would, would go back and see that movie fifteen times. That movie have you ever seen Eraserhead? Oh sure, yeah, love that film. 
Uh, the use of sound, I mean, you know, God, David Lynch famously spent like, what, eight years making that movie? It was it started as a student project. And it's, it's, it's inc- there's a really good documentary about midnight movies. I think it's just called Midnight Movies. I should find it in here and, and let you borrow it, or we could just watch it. Sure. But um, I became obsessed. So that was my whole obsession. My whole thing it was just like, I want, and I wanted to go to California to study film. Now, unbeknownst to me, I'm, my family was pretty poor after my parents got divorced when I was about nine years old. I see. I remember my mom pulled me out of school and, and basically just said, hey, you know, uh, your father and I are getting a divorce. And I remember like, why are you pulling me out of school to tell me this? And my dad was like, a, a, he was in, in, in the world of barbershop, he was like a big singer. He was in a, ba- a band. He was in a barbershop quartet called The Vagabonds. Wait, so in, in addition to... So, so in he addition to being a computer guy... Yeah, he was also, on the weekends, he would go on the road. Okay. And on the road, he would sing to crowds of, you know, 10,000 people at a stadium. Is that right? But they're all, like, older people, senior citizens, right? And older yeah, people but 10,000 is still 10,000. It was crazy. So, like, my dad, I, I really feel like I... He, he had, like, a whole fan base, and he was so humble and so, like, almost embarrassed by, like... You know, the fact that he had fans and stuff. He would sell, like, record albums and eight tracks and cassettes and eventually CDs at shows. And his quartet, he, he like, had this whole, like, demeanor, like, to his fans and whatnot. So I would go on the road with him as a little kid, you know, going to these events. And they had these things called afterglows, which were basically, like, hotel room parties where they would go to these hotel rooms. They'd have these parties and, like, guys would break out in song and, like... It was crazy. Like you'd see the adulation, like the, you know, how women admired him. Like he was, he was a rock star in that world. Um, so what, what was going through your head seeing this? As, um, because I don't know. At one, on one, one hand, he's your dad working at the computer company. I mean, for Chrysler doing computer business. He had the straight job. Then on the other hand, ten thousand people and all. Well, the I mean, it was it was like at like like it was a specific audience. Like sure. It was an audience of. Barbershop fans, and they do this thing. It's called the Society for the Preservation and Advancement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. Anyway, SPEBSQUA is the um, acronym, and it's um, it's an organization where if you go to their headquarters, there's a giant photo of his quartet, the Vagabonds, like on in on the his, on, on at their headquarters, like a like like a wall size, like like because his quartet was one of the biggest quartets. I see. Um, in that era, the '60s, '70s, and the 80s and he sang up until you know he uh i he died recently uh and the, this past holiday so i was there sorry for the loss yeah and i appreciate it no I, w- I was in the room when it, when he passed away it's the weirdest thing i've never been in the room when someone actually has died yeah so um it was really rough but uh how, how old was he if you don't mind asking um he was in his uh i mean let's see wait i have to do math he was 69. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, because I was going to say, like, I was born when he was 22. Wow. So he's 69. Not old. But he had had some health problems and whatnot, so. Any case, um, so, uh, so I, I feel like I learned a lot about, like, in, in whatever career I have now. Doing a little com- bit of show business Doing stuff comedy, on. a little bit of show business of, like, you know, be grateful. Yes. You know, be humble. Be um, treat regular people like they're celebrities. Treat celebrities like regular people. And I would that's observe, a good advice. Yeah, I would just observe this behavior. You know, like I would see him 
talk to people and he was he would just be so grateful like thank you you know buying his you know albums and this is a really funny story i got to get stay home from school one day because he was on phil the phil donahue show oh you're the, kidding the me the phil donahue show when i was growing up as a kid was a huge, huge. show huge it was like oprah in the it was like oprah and it's and phil donahue was way better than oprah he was much smarter dude um anyways my dad was on the Phil Donahue show along with two other quartets. So I remember having to like give like the principal or my teacher a note saying, we please request that Chris stay home from school. His dad is going to be on TV. I remember thinking that was a big deal. I was in third grade. And well, what was their reaction when you gave that paper to them? Oh, it was, I mean, it was cool. Like I was like super excited. Like my dad's going to be on TV. Now it's not such a big deal. Anybody can be on TV or the internet or and whatever. And like, I guess you, because you guys didn't have BCR back then? No, there was no... Well, he ended up getting like a three-quarter inch tape, and I have a copy of it somewhere. But um, yeah, that was like a really like amazing... Like, my dad's talking to Phil Donahue. And Phil Donahue was a show I remember watching as a kid. Like, and I remember watching it like as more like something my mom would have on and during the summers I would see it. For those you know, of you listening to this, if you're not familiar with Phil Donahue show... It was, uh, obviously, most of you probably know Oprah, but he really was, before Oprah, he was the biggest, in uh, Chicago, right? He yeah, was yeah, the, and a much smarter show. I mean, Oprah, I feel like, is just pandering and stupid and not a big fan of Oprah at all. Fuck her. Um, wow. What? Wow. What? I'm just not a fan yeah, of yeah. hers. I feel like yeah. she... Um, Sometimes, I mean, I, mean, I, feel, like, I, feel I think Phil like, Donahue's career kind of prematurely ended because I feel like, I feel Oprah like kind of took over that right, whole right. scene. Right, right, she did, because, because I feel like what Oprah does, which is why I hate local news, is let's say I'm with my girlfriend and or wife. You're with your girlfriend and or wife and sure. or mate, the companion in your life. Maybe you're gay and it's a dude, or maybe you're gay and it's a chick. I don't give a shit. You are with your companion, your life mate, someone you care about, your love. And Oprah brings up a topic that's like, here's what's wrong with your relationship. And you question, go, maybe that's wrong with my relationship. I feel like what she does, she is, she is. Are you saying she's creating problems? Yes. I feel like she incites drama within couples. I feel like she does what local news does, which is uh, you may have cancer if you have brown spots on you. Like but, freckles, but, 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 freckles. but they don't tell you uh, it'll be on 11, 11. 11 yeah you know like well you can't just tell me you know you can't just tell me right now in six seconds you have to I have to you made me all upset it's, it's alarmist media and mm-hmm. I find it's bullshit and that's why I'm not an Oprah fan that's why I'm not a fan of local news I feel like if you want to increase the level of stress in your life watch the local news sure or if you would like to increase watch these shows that Tell you you have problems you didn't know you had before you watched the show. Yeah. Okay? Think about that. Like, so, fuck Oprah. Fuck Oprah. I, I, I feel like she is, I, I feel, well, in the same way, I feel like she has done some good things. Sure. She has, she has brought self-confidence. She's brought confidence to a segment of American society that's been, for the most part, ignored. Mainly black women. Let's, let's be frank. And when I say black women, I'm talking about some of the women that you've had sex with in terms of <laughs> right am i wrong you you have had sex with black female prostitutes when i was 15 but after that it was not anything specifically i've gone out of my way to have sex with them all right all right okay i i thought that you had a i thought that you had a, thing oh, oh, with a black female no maybe no I'm, no you know what maybe i'm thinking of bill maher i'm sorry yoshi I apologize. I'm thinking. No, no. Of Bill what, I, what, what, what I said thinking about Bill Maher. what I what I said about black pr- prostitutes is true. It's, they're cheaper than other uh, prostitutes. 
So you are the budget-minded. Sure. When I when I I've said this story before, where John, you're the budget-minded John. Yeah, this is like when I was. 15. This will be another podcast. The budget-minded John. I think I was 15 or 16 in Long Beach, and I was walking by in this grocery. You want to you you want a blowjob for 20 bucks or something? That that was the first time I ever had any sort of experience of that kind. But um, I've, I've always said this before. It's just like uh, it's kind of joke, but. They are cheaper than compares to other race, for most part. At least that's my impression of it. Um, but I don't actively go after black girls because one other thing I will say, kind of jokingly, but it's hard for me to be attracted to a girl if I if I know for sure I can't beat her up. <laughs> oh my god! And black women oh seem like they will fight back. You know, that's right. I don't know why, but I'm not going actively looking girl for the beat up. But I'm just saying that um, they seem too aggressive for me. That's all. Um, well, anyway, I, going from black, anyways, black prostitute to <laughs> Chris's childhood. So what, what I find, you know, because we have a limited amount of time, but what I find interesting that you didn't grow up in a show, traditionally area known for show business. Well, so I think, yes, I, think, no. I, think, I think it's great that you, you were so obsessed with it and it had a huge influence in your life. Well, Eventually you ended up in California, right? Well, here's, here's what happened is, is I... I, I, I realize that like you don't know I feel like you don't know you're poor until you reach a certain age mm-hmm. so it was like sort of the, the tail end of high school I began to notice like hey like a lot of people have clothes that are nicer than mine or a lot of people have cars that are nicer than mine like sure. I had to buy my car I saved for years to buy my car uh, from money I made on my paper route and working at a video store. Sure. And I, I lied about my age actually this is funny I lied about my age to work at this video store because they carried porn when I was 16 years old, I just lied and said, I'm 18, and then got a job at this video store um, where they carried porn. They, after they found out that I was not, that they didn't give a shit. Um, because at the, at the end of the day, you were doing your job. Well, yeah, and, and, and also getting along it was, with it was a way for me to get free movies. There was a place that used to sell, it was Thomas Video, which is, was a famous video store in Michigan that um, carries, like, the, 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 I think they outlasted the blockbuster in the area because, you know, all the indie um, video stores carried porn. And blockbuster that, that is a fact because I work in the business for a long time. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. that's the only thing that kept mom and pop places alive for a long time. Alive. Yeah, porn. you need to have porn. Porn and unrated movies. Sure. And so, but you don't realize you're poor. And then I realized, like, oh, my God, like, my parents are divorced. Like, they don't have money for college. Like, I'm going to go to college and have to get financial aid. Sure. I'm going to go to college and have to work two or three jobs. So I had newspaper routes from the time I was nine years old through the age of 19. I was in college rushing for my college class to pick up newspapers to deliver them to my customers. And then I also worked restaurants on the weekend. And then during the week, I worked at this video store. Do you know who, who else did a paper route? Who? David Lynch. David Lynch, really? Yeah. I oh, remember wow. I remember uh, reading or hearing him talk. I think he used to deliver... Wall Street Journal, and I think he lived in Washington State too. But um, yeah, that's um, so. You guys have something in common. I love David Lynch. I loved. I, I've been to his house. It's amazing. A story for another Yoshi didn't. No, no, no I, I do want to hear that too. Well, um, if we have, to, but but like, so what I did was mm-hmm. is my um, uncle moved to the West Coast. He lived in San Diego, and my mother would go and visit um, her brother, my uncle, Uncle Mike, and um, I. Uh, would go out to the West Coast with her to visit him. And I knew that I couldn't afford to go to USC. I wanted to go to um, USC 
film school because that's where George Lucas went. That's where, uh, I mean, USC film school was the school to go to. Absolutely. Because and not George to mention. Lucas was my hero. And not to mention. You, Before episode one. Now, you know, not so much. But, but uh, George Lucas was my hero, and I wanted, I wanted to go to the same film school he went to. And at all the film businesses right there. You know. Right. So, so I, went to, I went to the campus of USC knowing I could not afford the tuition. I knew how much the tuition cost. I got all the papers. I got all the entrance stuff. I knew how much it cost. I said, I can't afford to go to the school. So what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm going to read the books that they read. These rich trust fund motherfuckers. I'm going to get the same education they have. I had $200 cash. I went there and I bought as many books as I could with that money. And then... What I was left over, because, you know, the textbooks are so expensive. Sure. I wrote a list of all of the books, the film program, the book, the author, the book, the author. And I w- my, my, my goal was I'm going to read every book the USC film students read. I went to Wayne State University. That was the school I went to, which was a commuter school for the most part. And uh, I went to my film classes there. And I was really grateful. I had some great teachers there. Um, so I... I, I feel I, I feel like I was surrounded with some really cool people, and it inspired me to create Film Thread. Actually, uh, uh, but you know, there. these days it's, so, it's, it's, so it's, I, it's pretty trendy to say the career track of Quentin Tarantino because he well, went to, I mean, he, he dropped out of the eighth grade. Yeah, I mean, his, I, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, but he was so obsessed, obsessed, uh, obsessive about film. But here's this guy. I mean, of course, at the time, you didn't know after years later when you saw his movie and his story, but it, it just shows... I have some Quentin stories, I can tell. Yeah, it, it, it just shows, like, even you, if you have a limited opportunity in the field you want to go, if you really, you're, if your desire is that strong, you will figure out a way to get in. But I've always, I've always been this thing of, like, information should be available to everybody. Sure. Like, a democratization where it's like, fuck this. You know, these rich kids go to this school. And I don't, I don't you know, I, I'm not, like bitter that they have that they have a leg up mm-hmm. it sounds like i'm being bitter about it it's like no it's like this is how i'm going to lift myself up and you so, have to be creative because even paul thomas anderson gave good advice mm-hmm. if you can't go to a film school or it's not even necessary he basically told everyone, dvd commentary dvd commentary yeah, yeah like and which we're only on laser disc at the time also very expensive but at the, but what i did was i took this list of books the ones i had purchased and the ones I wrote down, and I typed it up on a list, and I Xeroxed it, and I took it to all of my film classes, and I said, I just got back from California. Do you want to know all the books that the kids from USC are reading? Here's a list of all the books from every class that the kids from USC are, are taking, because what I began to notice was, because I was paying for college, my sure. parents helped me as best as they could, and then after a while, they just said, we don't have any money. So I was working three jobs and going to college. Sure. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll just read these books. And it began to really irritate me. I'm paying for a liberal arts education at Wayne State University. And I'm paying for this, this education. And basically what I'm doing is I'm buying a book for $60 or $40, which was expensive at the time. Now I know textbooks are even more freaking expensive than that. And I'm reading the book and then I'm regurgitating the contents of the book to the professor to prove that I've read the book. How about this? I'll just buy the book and read the book. Is that okay? So I, I, I dropped out of college about two and a half years in. I never even bothered to get my associate's degree. I didn't give a shit. 
And what's ironic is years later, I wrote a book about film festivals. Right. Which is used in college and university, universities which is, now. Which is actually required reading at, uh, in, as part of independent film studies at USC, at UCLA, at AFI. Where um, at USC, actually, they invite me to do speaking engagements all the time. Can you say your title again, your book? It's the Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide. It's available on Amazon. Uh, the fourth edition was the last one. I don't know that I'll ever do another one. I'm kind of out of that game. I'm, uh, I've, re- I've turned my career more towards comedy sure. with this book, Celebrities Poop. Uh, and stand-up book, comedy. Book and, book and stand-up comedy album because I feel like there's more latitude in that arena. And you, you understand this, Yoshi. Like, yeah. Like, you know, if, you're, if I'm a guy who writes about film or critiques film... There's this much range in my career. I'm, I'm, I'm making the motion of a very, very tiny V or a very, 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 very tiny thin slice of pie. But if you're a comedian, if you're a comedian, you can do stand-up. You can do a stand-up album. You can write a book. You can you, write a script. You could act in a movie and you can TV act in a TV show. You can, mm-hmm. do, you can do voices on a cartoon show. You can do so many, you can do, there's so much more latitude available to people who define themselves as comedian as opposed to what I was doing in my previous career that, and, and, and also for years people just said like, I couldn't do movie coverage even with a straight face. Because always the funny stuff would, would pop into my head. So I would like, even like old issues of Film Threat, which I gave you a whole run of the yeah. old issues, which I have only a few sets of those left. You should treasure that. Treasure it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't resist the urge to do something that was goofy and funny. So even when I look back, it's like, well, I kind of ha- had always just gone for laughs with what I was doing, even, even in the most serious moments, because... What's interesting about comedians, and you do this all the time, is what comedians are capable of doing, and the really good ones do this, is taking an incredibly complex idea and expressing it in a very short amount of time. And making them laugh. And making them laugh. So it's like taking all of this complex information, and, and that is the mind of a comic. It really is... I, I, but I, I, just, I, I think you've been doing this for a long time, though, because I think this is something that people say, even people that, um, uh, like my friends who recognize your name, they were saying, like, you're the funny guy on the show. And, you, oh, well, and, you. and, and, and it's not forced. That's what I don't like. When, when sometimes you meet comedians, when they're oh, when it's to, like over-rehearsed? Yeah, like, or trying to force over Overproduced yeah. and over-bullshit, which is most of television. I just like conversation, like... You know, even with this, like we're thing, having now. Yeah, it's we we have some notes, but it doesn't have to go that particular subject matters. You know, wherever the conversation might take. Exactly, and, the conversation and, is going. Where but I'm, it's I'm going. telling you, most comedian friends of mine will tell you they they're envious of the career you have because a lot of them wish they were on TV right away. Well, I'm so, not on TV anymore. Well, but so. you, you you have that experience, you know. So. Right. I, I think a lot of comedians do stand up for a long time, waiting for their opportunity to do TV, a movie, or write for TV or movie business. So, you know, um, you show me, I listen to a little bit of your comedy stuff. It sounds great. Oh, thank and, you. And, and, and it's, it's only going to get better. And doing this podcast stuff is fun too. I, I, I just like, first, most important thing for me, and I think you probably agree, it's got to be interesting first, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and you have a lot of interesting things to say about a lot of different things. And I, like, let's, 
like fanzine is a very common thing these days, but you were doing that stuff way before everyone else, right? Well, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the fanzines now are kind of dead. Now it's blogs and but at the time, tumblers and mm-hmm. and clever stuff like that, which which I think is cool. It's that's the natural evolution. I, I to me, of all the mediums, having worked in television, having written books, having done podcasts. Have done stand up comedy. Having done stand up comedy, my favorite thing. I love the internet. The internet to me is that that was like, uh, to me the internet is. I've been waiting for it my whole life. Yes. And I feel like now that the internet is here, now I can really blossom and do, do, any project I want to do. I mean, like I'm putting out this comedy album independently, Celebrities Poop, as a book that comes with a download with of my comedy, like 50 minutes of comedy. Most people sell fifty minutes of comedy for nine ninety nine. My my book and comedy album is like fifteen bucks. Very reasonable. Which, which is a reasonable price. It's like a book you can keep on your. And your daughter did it. She's a very a great my, artist. My daughter did the art. Uh, who's? It's, I mean, it's it's funny because I had to really convince her to put her name on it because <laughs> she didn't. She wanted to use a pseudonym. She was embarrassed by it. But, but she got a job because of the book. She got a job because of the book. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, and the book's not even out yet. I mean, it's just coming out like this week. But um. So go, go, going back with the fanzine thing you started, what was your original intention? What were you expecting once you were starting? Oh, when I started Film Thread? Yeah. Uh, How old were you? I was 19 or 18. I was 18 years old and I created like the logo and I did the format. I think the first issue came out when I was 19. And, uh, there was, and this, I, is, this is where you talk about the movies that you like. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be, I mean, at the time, punk rock fanzines were huge. Mm-hmm. Punk rock fanzines were like the thing, like skate punk, maximum rock and roll, like, like a punk magazine was a magazine that was very influenced by Legs McNeil and, and John Holmstrom, who did this magazine called Punk, which I'll have to dig up copies for you. If you saw this magazine, it was like, it's basically, when I look at punk rock fanzines now, to me it was the internet before the internet. I see. It was, it was gonzo journalism like Hunter S. Thompson was doing, and it was, it was brutally honest and real, and that's, that was my, that's my, those are my roots, was doing that thing. So when you have this magazine, when you start 18, 19 years old, right. and when did you know you were onto something it must be some famous person writing a letter or something, right? I mean, well, yeah, actually, it's weird. Like, I got a letter. When, when did you? When did you? Steven know Soderbergh sent me a letter. Okay, this is like an eighty. Who's that again? <laughs> well, Steven Soderbergh, accomplished director. You mm-hmm. can look him up. He directed The Limey, Contagion, a mm-hmm. recent film of his. Um, Sex Lies and Videotape is, to me, what defined. Independent film. How helped defined, yeah, it created independent film because it, independent, we're not even called independent films before 1989. They were called regional movies. Is that right? They were called regional movies. So no one called them independent films until around 89. 89 is also the same year that the Sundance Film Festival changed its name. The original name of the Sundance Film Festival was the United States Film Festival. Yuck. Yeah, exactly. And they, they changed the name to the Sundance Film Festival because... Uh, uh, um, Wait, I, I get confused. Is that the one with Robert Redford? Robert Redford, yeah. Robert okay. Redford created the Sundance Institute, which was to help develop independent movies and to take these regional movies and develop their scripts. So he was basically pairing Hollywood 
professionals with independent filmmakers to have them make better movies. Chris, I'm I'm really dumb. Can you explain to me and the listeners I mean, what, what what's how do you define independent film? I mean, we I use that word all the time without really. I don't I don't even know that like independent film is so different these days. It really is. I mean, like, but back then it was it, it, then it was it a was movie like, made was without the stu- uh, major studio. Without a major studio, it doesn't mean that a major studio might not pick it up later and distribute mm-hmm. it because the, the major studios own all the. Paths to distribution. Sure, but um, but independent films were independently financed, and they so so the finished product, the finished movie, came from passion and someone who it's basically art welfare. It's basically someone just saying, "I'm going to invest in the arts. I don't care about making money." And so they they would give filmmakers like Steven Soderbergh. Although Steven Soderbergh had a really interesting deal, which he he broke his deal. He was supposed to make an exploitation movie with lots of tits and ass. And he, for his he, first movie? Yes. Here's what's funny. He he um, got m- money from a company that just wanted to do something direct to VHS. Okay. That was going to be an exploitation movie. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make this movie called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I'm going to have lots of tits. And then he went off and made an art film, basically. And then when he had the rights, he didn't have the rights to the video release. He had the rights to the theatrical. So Miramax... You know, Bob and Harvey Weinstein picked up the theatrical rights to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Another company, I believe it was Vestron Video, if I could be wrong, um, had the rights to the video release. Okay. So they got the rights, and the movie went on to win the Palme d'Or that year, 1980. The highest award at the Cannes Film Festival. Festival. Yeah. So it went from the United States Film Festival, well, actually the Sundance Film Festival, because they just changed their name, and, and, and went from there to, in May, screened at Cannes and sold... And uh, then I actually saw it in the movie theater. I remember my mother. I saw it in movie theater too. I yeah. did as well. My mother would always, she was a very huge film buff. Both, both my parents, my father and my mother. My, my mother was like, don't go to the mall theater. Whenever I go to the mall theater to see some John Hughes movie like Pretty in Pink or you know, Sixteen Breakfast, Candles. Yeah, The Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. She'd always mock me like, you're going to the mall. I love theater. John Hughes. I do too. I l- don't go to the mall theater. You should go to the art house theater. You have to go to the Maple or the DIA, the Detroit Institute of the Arts. <laughs> so she would encourage yeah. me, like, don't go and see those mainstream movies. You should go see these independent films, these art films. They were called art films, basically, like Stranger Than Paradise and movies like that by Jim Jarmusch. So, so Which, she, ironically, you kind of remind me what your hairstyle. Yeah, exactly. My hair. I started going like silver when I was 19 years old. I have all these silver hairs, and it really like re, like yeah. It's just I look like Mister. I look like the freeze miser from Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. The year without a Santa Claus. Yeah. So if you if you know the Rankin Bass puppet animated year without a Santa Claus, uh, I look like the freeze miser. My head. The top of my head. Anyway, so uh, my, my mother encouraged me to go see art house films, and so did she like that movie though? She loves Sex Lies and Videotape, but it's weird to have your mom when I'm like, you know, I was like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, go see Sex Lies and Videotape. No wait, how old was I at that time? No, I was older. I was in my twenties. Uh, but yeah, so so it's weird. But nevertheless, mom, it is weird. Did mom tell me to watch? Tell me to go see yeah. art films. Well, she didn't care about nudity. It's like it's nudity that wasn't sexualized. She didn't give a shit about. You know, it's just like. Or, or language. It was. It was. You know. It was the experience. It's you're having a life experience. It's like it's a human. Uh, it's a human drama. So um, yeah. I think I was 20 when I saw that, and my recollection was 
I knew it was a good movie, but I knew that I was too young to really appreciate what was going <laughs> right, on. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and I was a moody little kid, so me and my friend Sam Smith and John Wonders, all we do like Friday and Saturday night, we gather enough money to go movie theaters and watch movie. And I love going early in the morning and theaters just sneaking as many movies. In fact, I used to go. To, I used to go to the. I used to go to the drive-in. I used to go to the drive-in actually right there, straight ahead on that shelf. Look straight ahead mm-hmm. under the radio flyer, little replica yeah. of the wagon. Yeah, that is a drive-in movie speaker. I'll, I'll show it to you. Uh, hey, I'm gonna grab it. I'm going to grab it for you. For which theater was it? It was the Oak Drive-In. Wow, it looks heavy. It's heavy. It's actually stuck in with it. Yeah. Okay, so I can't can't have you hold it. You can touch it. Is it stuck together because it was at a porn theater? No, no, no. I I put some museum putty on it so it wouldn't fall over. But that is a drive-in movie speaker from a drive-in movie theater called the Oak Drive-In. When I was like 13, 14 years old, I would go to that theater and I would sneak under a place in the fence in the back. I would sit on the pole in the back. So there's this giant pole that held a speaker. I would turn up the speaker and I would just sit and hide like this under all the weeds and I would watch movies for free by sneaking in there. Then I had my friends once, this friend of mine, Gary Grigowski. I went to the drive-in with him and he put me in the trunk to save money. And he wouldn't open the trunk. He had me slide through the back rusted quarter panel of like the Chevy Impala. So I had to like... That's right. They don't charge you just by vehicle. It's the number of the people inside. Number of people. So I slid out the side and actually uh, got to watch the movie. And we had to like do it after dusk. So I'm sitting on the freaking trunk just like... And that's it's exactly like right out of like... I mean, you, you heard stories of people doing that, so I would sneak in. Now I, lo- like I love the drive. Of, it's like a family of Mexicans trying to sneak uh, across the border. <laughs> a little bit. A li- yeah. I was just I was just trying to save a couple dollars, but I do have a vivid memory of going to uh, see with my parents actually going to the drive-in and seeing. Um, I saw this movie called The Chosen Survivors, some exploitation movie. I think that's what it was called. And then I, I saw that it was an all-night marathon. It was all of the Planet of the Apes movies playing at the drive-in, um, which was weird because years later. I did a uh, an article in Film Threat about how the first Planet of the Apes movie is all BDSM, Makita Saad stuff. It's all like... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, I'm telling you. Oh, I, we will, I will put on Planet of the Apes for you. And I will show you that that movie is a BDSM fetish, fetish uh, uh, sexu- sexually fetish person's dream. Because it's all about being humiliated and bestiality. Yeah, it's it's an effed up movie, and it's amazing that Charlton Heston, right wing Republican, agreed to be in this movie. And none of the other Planet of the Apes movies have this subtext. The subtext is humiliation, like being tied up with leather collars, mm-hmm. forced to have sex, thrown into cages, bound, bound in weird ways, stripped naked in front. I mean, like tied. Wow, I've never thought of that way. Oh, there's and a I'm, a, I'm the pervert right here. There's a line right out of Planet of the Apes that will blow you away where you're looking at it going like you may as well be watching some fetish porn from, from Europe or Germany, if I might reference the German from later. Sure, but may, may I also add, to be fair to Mr. Charles Heston, uh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah? Uh, he, yes, he was a gun guy. 
and he had a very strong conservative feelings. But one thing I have to say, and I think we need to appreciate for who he was, during the 60s with civil rights movement, he was walking with African Americans. He, he was a big on that. Yeah, no, no. He was he, a big, he was a very big on he, it. So Yeah, I feel like he's sort of the type of person I would relate to in the sense of, like, there's certain things I'm very conservative about. Yeah. There's other things where it's well, like, when I'm we got him liberal. people, he was, uh, couldn't be a nicer person, yeah. you know? When it, when it, I feel like when it comes to people, it's like, lighten the fuck up, mm-hmm. you know? Like, like, I just, having grown up in the Detroit area and then also living in Los Angeles uh, for most of my life now, I just feel like it's a waste of freaking time. I feel like it's really, uh, I, I, you know, all the racism, all that, the, the bullshit is just a complete waste. So we'll make it quick, Chris. I know um, it's been a long day for you. What, what, do you. what do you mean, make it quick? It sounds like, it sounds like <laughs> what are you, my doctor? <laughs> or is this a procedure? <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. It feels like it sometimes yeah. doing these podcasts. I'm, go- I'm going to remind everyone, you know, we, we, I'm, I really want to do this for a weekly show with you and I, but sometimes because of scheduling conflict. But I, I, I would like to do a couple times a month, but I prefer we have one episode every week from next week, from the Comic-Con uh, week. All right, so, let's, so, let's do it. So next time we'll talk about, you know, your, your career at G4 with Attack of the Show and you work with Olivia Munn and all the other interesting stuff. But we're running out of time. So I'd like to ask three questions. Qu- we're running out of time. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What do we want? Is there something that you have to do? No, no. I just want to make sure. Well, I have to go pick up my cousin, too. So. Oh, right. The one you've never met. Yes. Yeah. I met Is him he going to do the podcast? He, he barely speaks English. And he's you sti- guys will be great. He's, he's, he's still <laughs> he's still traumatized. For those of you, he landed on Sunday, 1 p.m. LAX, Asiana Airlines, and uh, around the same time in San Francisco, Asiana Air, um, airplane disasterly landed, and two two kids got killed. So my family terrible with geography. They just thought my cousin was dead or hurt the whole time, and uh, until it was late that night, they they realized he was okay. So anyway. He's having a tough week. So, so bad with geography. Yes, they're bad with geography because they told me. What about uh, what about math? Oh well, <laughs> we, we're, we're pretty good except when it comes to gambling. <laughs> it makes no sense how many Asians play when the house are in vast majority of time. What about slot machines? S- wait. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the slot machine? The slot machines. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been a weird day. Yeah, for me too. So, Chris, Chris, tell me, tell me the story with David Lynch. I know you interviewed him. How, how did that go? I think people will be interested. No, it, was, it was cool. Um, I mean, I've always been a David Lynch fan. Yeah. Who isn't? Seriously. Right. I mean, from a racer head and everything after that. And I'm from Seattle in, in uh, Twin Peaks. I, I love that show. I love it. And and um, I just Blue Velvet. I had the opportunity to interview him, and I went to his uh, house. And he has two houses next to each other. Is this in L.A.? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, in the Hollywood Hills. When was this? And, I mean, how far do we oh, go Oh, this then? is years ago. Like 15 years ago. Okay. 10 years ago. So let me guess. You're, you're a great journalist, writer, and this is your opportunity for you to meet your hero. Right. You really... And uh, you He's were... a huge hero. Yeah, so he must be really excited. I was blown away. But yeah. what was cool was discovering that in one of the houses he does art, mm-hmm. and that's his office... And he does not cook in that house. In the other house he lives in, he cooks in. Okay. So he will not allow food in one house. And then the other house he, he works in. I mean, uh, but what was interesting was 
he had taken a piece of roadkill and shellacked it to a piece of art. Mm-hmm. So he was working on a canvas in his office that had shellacked what looks like looked like the remains of a squirrel. Okay. I thought that was creative. A good use of found art and or a dead animal. And and watching his movies, you're not that surprised. Because he, he, well, he's, 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 exactly. he's, he's known for doing bizarre, weird stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But what was really fun was to talk to him about... Um, like, I, I'm a big fan of the film Dune. Yeah. I think his Dune... It's not a perfect movie. And I said... I said it's it's an it's an ambitious disaster. Yes. It's and he even like he's disavowed the movie. He's even there are versions of the movie where he took the credit Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy is the the name that um, people would use. It's a pseudonym that people would use. Directors would use when they didn't want credit for a movie. They would just put the name Alan Smithy on there, and so he did that with the TV version of Dune. The theatrical version he kept his name on, but the only reason he did the movie was so that he could make Blue Velvet. He wanted to make Blue Velvet, and he. Well, so like, this okay. is the this is the deal he made with studio. They said it's you the, could make Blue Velvet as long as you do. Well, this. it's the deal he made with Dino De Laurentiis, uh. not the studio. So he did, um, you know, he did Dune so that he could make Blue Velvet. Sure. Uh, so. I mean, it's look. I, I feel like I feel like artists all the time are kind of caught in this thing of like, how do I manipulate and work the system so that I can get what I want, you know, get the thing that I want to do and have as much creative control, creative control as possible. So he did that, and and Dune is sort of a mess, but it's a beautiful mess because there are parts of it that are I think are brilliant, and there are ideas in it that are amazing, and he did the best he possibly could. I mean, to try and make a two-and-a-half-hour version of such a dense book. I mean, the book's over 400 pages with a glossary in the back. Mm-hmm. And people have attempted it. There have been TV versions. They're not nearly as good. And other people tried to make it. Alejandro Jodorowsky tried to make Dune back in the 70s. Was that right? With H.R. Giger doing the artwork, yeah. Yeah, you can look that up. There's, I think there's a, a famous YouTube video where someone took all the art that Jodorowsky did. I see. And, and, uh, or that he hired H.R. Giger to do. This is before Giger did Alien. He designed a version oh, of Oh, that's Dune. right. Alien's what, 78, 79, right? Yeah, yeah. Alien was 79. And, and so uh, Giger was just this you know, accomplished, scary artist who I admire. Uh, but anyway, so so yeah, what was cool was talking to him about, um, you know, he was originally up to direct Return of the Jedi. What? what was, yeah, what was called Revenge of the Jedi. Okay. So you didn't know this? That, that, that I remember, that the whole revenge thing. But yeah, so I didn't, Revenge I, of the Jedi, uh, David Lynch was, a, was the director who was going to make Revenge of the Jedi. And George Lucas approached him, and he was up for the job, and um, he, I asked him about this. I'd never heard this story, but... He, he um, talked to George Lucas. And you're an expert, so your, your jaws must drop when you're hearing this, Well, right? yeah, exactly. He's telling me this story about how he met George Lucas, and they had this big meeting, and he was going to do Revenge of the Jedi. And the thing that he would really bothered him was is that the movie was pretty much all mapped out. Mm-hmm. They had storyboards, the script. He, George Lucas was really just looking for a director to just do what he said. Because Lucas was really the executive producer of the project. It was George Lucas's money, and it was his undertaking. And David Lynch was just the guy to make it all, you know, to run the set. So 
I guess Lynch um, had a meeting with George Lucas and they had, this was an early version of the script and an early version of the storyboards. And originally, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Return of the Jedi, but at the very end of the movie, you know, there's the characters of the Ewoks. Right. In the second half of the film. And originally, what was supposed to happen is the Ewoks are these little tiny, short, teddy bear-like, fuzzy, cute creatures. So the movie is filled with these cute Ewoks, which are very tiny. There were another race of creatures, and this is actually documented in all the Star Wars... Uh, uh, you know, you can, you can look at like, the art of Return of the Jedi, and there's pictures of this. There was another race called the Yuzums. And the Yuzums were like this like big, tall race of creatures with weird like legs and whatever so you've got like the short ewoks right and you've got like the the tall yuzums and originally what was supposed to happen is that the yuzums and the ewoks were supposed to be this race that was fighting and they would have to unite in order to overthrow the empire okay but david lynch just very pointedly he, he actually just turned to lucas and, and pointed out like hey um You've got this really, really tall race of alien creatures. Okay. You've got this really short race of alien creatures. How am I supposed to direct it with their eye lines? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to make them have conversations right. with each other? Like, how do I film it? Like, basically, David was saying, how do I film this thing? Like, yeah. You've got this idea in your head. And what's odd is, is that later on, George Lucas ended up using that idea in Star Wars Episode One. We had the race of Gung Gungans um, that uh, united with the human race on the planet of Naboo to overthrow the Trade Federation. It's Now that I say this out loud, I feel stupid knowing all this. Mm -hmm. Well, why? I mean, <laughs> why? I feel stupid actually just like, wow, I know a lot of shit no one cares about that is just dumb. I care about this. Well, thank you for saying so. I appreciate it. <laughs> But I don't, I don't, I don't like to say like I'm a super fan because every time I go to Comic Con, mm -hmm. I realize how little I know. Like, right. good for I mean, you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> good for you because there's always someone around the corner that explains. There's always someone who knows way more than I do. So I appreciate that. I mean, what, what's his name? The guy who wrote um, Game of Thrones, J.R.R. Um, um, J.R.R. Tolkien. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Martin. What's his right, name? Right, right. He he. In several interviews, was saying sometimes he have to consult uh, one of the major fans in Sweden because he remember everything way better than he does. Like he have to call this guy, this X and X, X, and X character. What color is, is his eye? He doesn't remember. This super fan remembers that. Wow. So it just tell you, even the creator of a thing, they forget sometimes the color of the hair, color of the eye. Well, that's definitely true. With I think George Lucas. I mean, he. It's like it's almost like the prequels had nothing to do with the uh, with the other Star Wars movies, the original trilogy. So how how did David Lynch lose it, or that he did just decide not to do it? He just decided not to do it, and then he oh, went wow. off and did Doom. So instead of doing Return of the Jedi, George Lu or, uh, uh, David Lynch did Dune. Who was the character from um, Tom Selleck? What was that show that he was on? On uh, Hawaii, Magnum PI, Magnum PI, and I remember he was originally supposed to be the star of Raiders of Lost. Uh, uh. Well, he was one of the people that was considered, and I think he was actually cast, but it was the TV shooting schedule that prevented him from doing it. Wow, yeah, bummer, right? But can you imagine that movie with Tom Selleck? I don't think it would have been nearly as good. I think I think Harrison Ford made that movie. I mm -hmm. think Harrison Ford made 
the original Star Wars trilogy. Sure. Because him being the skeptic... And likable rogue character. Right, exactly. In a way, you were the Han Solo of DVD ASA. <laughs> Shut up, don't go because, back. Because you, Yoshi Obayashi, you... Or the skeptic, you're the one who questions. This is what the stand-up comedians call callback from earlier in the it's conversation. It's a callback. It's a callback to the very beginning of our conversation. You, Yoshi, you are the Han Solo. And now... Then, now, then Asa is uh, Princess Leia. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think she's one of the... Slave, All right. It's the slave girls from Jabba's palace. She could be considered a slave. Do they have... Do they have porn in the Star Wars universe? There are porn movies based on Star Wars. Well, there yeah. are, yes. Yeah. There's, is it This Ain't Star Wars or it's Star Wars Triple Yeah, everything's protected under the law. If you, as long as you, you say, this ain't. Right, right. You know. This ain't. <laughs> this, ain't. this ain't Yoshi didn't. Yeah. Someone could do a podcast called They'd This get Ain't away with Yoshi it. didn't. They could get away with it. And they could do it. That's so, so funny. So David Lynch, you, you had a meeting and... and um, what was other memorable? Well, I mean, it was just it was just an interview. I mean, it was it was I was allowed to. It was this was I think at the time, God, now I forget what movie it was. I, but um, Mulholland Drive. Yes, I believe it was Mulholland. Yeah, yeah, that was right. So um, I had access to him, and we talked about Mulholland Drive. But we also um, it's a beautiful film. It's it's yeah, about magic in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I love um in fact I think we talked about a whole theory about how like the whole movie is she cuz she there's a there's like a suicide in it mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. The whole movie is sort of what happens in her brain as the bullet is like going through her brain. That's the whole movie. So, it's just the the moments the you know, her moments before her death. The whole movie takes place. That almost kind of reminded me of that last episode of Lost where you find out they were dead the whole time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that coming, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, like, I feel like the, the only the issue with Lost is, is that um, it was just a few seasons too long. I feel, like, I, feel like it, I feel like they need to do what they're doing with this Under the Dome series on CBS. It's like if 13 episodes, it mm -hmm. tells a story. You can always tell more stories in that universe. But just tell one story, have an ending. Sure. And I feel like that's what's screwing TV producers now is them whether knowing, not knowing whether or not they're being picked up, mm -hmm. not knowing, so they can't tell a complete story or even leave it open ended. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It's like that show. I don't know if you watch Boss, mm -hmm. Stars Network. It was disappointing. They did it first and second uh, season, and it was great. And I thought they were coming back third season, and and, and they, you know. They, they're not coming back so it just ended abruptly basically yeah I, I don't like when they do that it's it's I feel like um, that's why I, service I to new TV to, to TV series in the future because even the thing of like season finale series finale the split seasons all of these are new things within the last like you know uh, probably in the last 10 years you know it's it's I mean we've seen sort of touches of that before. But it was always like, well, we'll see if the show comes back. So everything had to be wrapped up neatly in, in one episode. You know, it's like, you know, story arcs. Sure. Which I think, you know, X-Files did a great job of that. So you'd saw, you saw touches of, you know, nuance, nuances and new things being added to the, the language of TV storytelling. Um, it, it, that, that I think it, it, has, made, has made television more popular than movies. Uh, TV is more popular than movies. Let's just, 
That's I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like it, it, that that is the way it is. You're more guaranteed. There's more good TV out there than there are good movies in any. I, I agree because because you have more time to explore these ideas and you know even as great films. You you have what most at most two and a half three hours right right and when you have shows like Breaking Bad you have five six whatever that many seasons you know um, it um, well I, I, I actually I had a question for you about TV you know the Netflix had this thing House um, House of Cards yeah you know when when you have, when you watch this first season of Breaking Bad you meet the character of Jesse. And, and fans' reaction was so positive, they decided to keep that character, and, and, and um, he became a big part of the story. But when you make a show, one through 12 episodes, the whole thing, and release it on the same day, the fans don't really have a reaction to be happy or remorse over certain well, characters, I think, I, you know? I think Netflix is changing the way people absorb that stuff. I mean, because, especially if you look at how they did Arrested Development. Yeah. You saw that Arrested Development. I watched it all in one day. I watched it on, on uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, I just watched it all, beginning and end. I couldn't stop watching it. It was it was great. So I think they because what they began to notice because Netflix sees how people watch their, you know, their content. So they have a unique how they watch they it, unique, or or they just because of their how they consume uh, the media. So so while <laughs> you know television networks and cable and whatnot are kind of the slave to ratings. Mm -hmm. um, Netflix can, with precision, tell you precisely how many people watched sure. certain things, when, what time of the day, times of the day they watched it, where they were watching it, and give you a basic demographic based on a zip code. You look at a zip code and you can tell sort of what the eth ethnic breakdown is of a certain group sure. and what the, what the economic breakdown is. Based on zip codes, right? You you can see that. So, um, so in any case, so, so Netflix has a unique advantage to to design their entertainment and content to to appeal to their users, especially their heavy users, the ones uh, that will sit there and watch whole seasons of. Because they would begin to notice statistics about like a new season of Breaking Bad would be starting, and people would just watch the last season all in a row in like a day. And you hear, I mean, how many times have you talked to a friend? It's like, I'm doing a Dexter marathon this weekend. Sure. A lot now. A lot. It's a thing people do is they consume. And, and it's not, I mean, when you think about it, like, I mean, my God, like, okay, so. There as much as I like that system, uh, Chris, because I did watch House of Cards basically one night. You did. You I, did. I, I, I could not so stop you it. did also. I couldn't See? stop it. But I don't know if I really enjoy as much as when I have a whole week to watch and think about it. And maybe reading, read an article about explaining certain things I didn't get. You know, and this is something you and I, we're old enough to remember, communal feeling to certain TV show and movies. Right. When we went to see Star Wars Return of the Jedi, I stayed in line the first night. I didn't care. But I the, went. But the, but the following Monday, when you go to school, everybody talked about it. Right, right. But, but also, you don't do that anymore. Right. But, well, there, I mean, yeah, there are not as many of those cultural events. But, but Except for sports. Well, in, in sports, yes. But, but, but I, I feel like now the way we consume everything on the Internet is everything is so disposable. It's It's... You know, this was the big story, and then it's over. This big thing happened, and then it's done. This thing came out, and now it's over. I mean, it's, it's you know, we, we've just become like, meh. You know, look at that and consume it on to the next. Sure. We're basically, we basically turned into a population of uh, media junkies. I mean, I, I, I put myself in that category. I'm definitely a media junkie. So it's, it's internet, porn, 
streaming this DVD? What's on what's on my DVR? We're, we're media junkies. I mean, we're, we really are concerned by um, entertainment. And remember Eisenhower warned us little before he um, got out of office, he said the danger and the threat of an industrial military complex. Mm-hmm. It's now we live in industrial military entertainment complex. <laughs> right, right. Because entertainment is such a huge thing. And even in places like, you'll be amazed, Afghanistan, Taliban mm-hmm. who hate us, but goddamn, they can't get enough of Charles Branson, uh, right. Clint Eastwood, Schwarzenegger, um, you know, on and on, any of those macho kind of... Just, just remember those countries, if you bomb the United States... You're not going to get those. There goes And there goes the internet, too. Sure. You know, so, I don't know. Any any other uh, going back? Um, we, you know what we could. The thing is, we we could talk a million stories like this. Mm-hmm. I've got I got a, I got a, I got no no, a, and we will. I just want people. And we will. I just I, I I feel like this is the beginning of what will be. You know, I'll be a recurring co-host with you. Yeah, you and I will continue to get to know each other. I mean, I feel like I've gotten to know you by listening to stories that you've told on both on this show, sure, and on DVD ASA when. At least the early episodes when you were a part of it, um, you know, hearing some of the tragic stories and things that have happened in your life, which I would encourage people to laugh at. Well, <laughs> well, at least to go back and listen to some of those episodes of DVD ASA, the early ones that Yoshi was on. Fuck the ones where they try to get the janitor who can barely speak English. To oh, stop it. He, he, he he's have, terrible. But he doesn't have nothing to do with it. He doesn't have he's anything. awful. Dude, anyway. Should, um, I, that's that's Cho's choice. I don't know. But we are the biggest producers of TV and movie business. And I just, I do obsess over it. It's it's really fun to talk about it. And you know a lot about it, you know. And I'm just looking forward to I mean, we, we will definitely talk about other stuff to you. Right, right. But your expertise is pretty amazing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So we so so this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship on Yoshi did. Now wait a sec, can I ask a question though? Sure, you could ask a bunch was, of questions. Was, did David show fire Lalit off this show? Does he have that kind of power? She, I didn't she, I didn't fire her, she quit. <laughs> oh, she, she quit? She quit? She quit? Wow, okay. Wow, I didn't I didn't I didn't know the whole I don't know how much you want to talk about that on the show. No, I mean she'll address it. It's um I, I, will, I, 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 will, I will talk about it when when this time is right, but um, it's just um, yes. This is a long pause. It's how would I phrase it? It just it's uh, I don't know if it's a taboo, but I don't mind talking about me about stories about the people that I have problem with. But I, I it's. Is it because it's she's a not here? It's, it's cringy because this is my show, and, and I don't mind talking about other people's show, but I, I don't know why I just have this really gagging mm. attitude talking about it in my show. I don't care that Dave talk about me on the show. It's just one thing I could say with com- confidence that Dave's not a very fair guy, and he does have a terrible memory, and... When he does something wrong to others, he's dismissive or minimizes what he did. But he will magnify when things are done to him. And he said when he got mad at me for the potato chip incident that he doesn't give a fuck about intention. Well, I think intention is a big factor in life. And there's many times he did something he probably regret. And at the time, 
he wasn't malicious about it. He had a good intention, but um, it just seems strange to me. He's 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 too busy seeing faults in my life, but you know he can't see in, in his life. You know, and and I don't think it's healthy to surround yourself with a bunch of people who are always saying yes to you. I, I think he should be secure enough to hear people not agreeing with you with things. You know, and um, he need he should sometimes ask me why did I say no to him or why I didn't. I say I don't want to do something, you know. I just I'm just not a fan of forcing people to do things they don't want to do. I'm, I'm I never am fan of that. It's all, only if it's consensual. <laughs> it, it just you know like like like, like 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 I'm a fan of if you say something you're going to do it and you don't do it and other people see it that you don't keep your word. Then I, right. I, I, just, I just I just feel like you're not obligated to listen to that person. You lost the credibility. Right, right. Um, that's how I'm wired. I mean, even even with Evil Angel, once I realized the guy that I was working for proved to me that um, he's not that principle, and um, he is simply a businessman and willing to compromise. And you know, he didn't. He definitely didn't protect his kids. You weren't. You run. You have a point. No, no, no. I heard that story. Yeah. So. And once he proved to me that he really doesn't mean what he claimed to believe in, in certain principle, then I, I didn't want to be part of that. Wow. Of course, of course, that's not practical. And, and any fan of Game of Thrones will tell you the Stark family got fucked because they're just, they're not practical with principles, you know? Like, they're playing against, like, the Lannister family and so on. They're playing game differently they're there to win they're there to accumulate power they don't give a fuck about keeping their words and being principled that's why i think stark families are dead uh, until up to this three uh, season three i don't know why i'm talking about them but i'm, I'm uh, <laughs> i really obsess over the show and it just shows you know lannisters are winning because they only give a fuck about their survival and power and money you know and people who believe in principle and believe in those ideas they're at disadvantage. Well, I, I wonder if there could be, like, you could write a book. You could write a book called uh, Game of Cho. Game of Cho. <laughs> and Game of Cho would be, it's not about David Cho, yes. but it is about the Cho family. No, no, no. They're Game a nice family. Cho. They're and a nice family. <laughs> you, but it's all fiction. It's all fiction. Here, it's here's not, the thing. It's just fiction. Here, here, it's just a story. He, here's the sad part, Chris. <laughs> I'm saying. Here's the sad part. <laughs> you could do Game of Cho. It, it's, it's sad because he. Ch I don't, I don't want to make a light, light of. Uh, and then the I don't want. I don't want to make a light of addiction because I really don't know. I thought I did. I don't know. I do have problems, but I, I'm not too crazy about anything like that at his level and other addicts. So. Maybe that has something to do with, but I, I, I just thought I'm I'm incredibly stubborn, and I'm uh, uh, and, and I don't budge. And believe me, it's not in my interest to fight against people who are providing me with job. But like, I'm just wired that way. Like once I realized they're, they're just bullshitting me, I just couldn't sit there and take orders from people like that. Hmm. I, it's, I'm just not a practical guy. They offered, Evil Angel offered me my job back. I didn't take it because several people lied about me and I could have just taken the job back, but I, I know myself well enough, I wouldn't come back, punch one or both of them. I've done stuff like that. Mm. 
and I would have gone to jail. That's the major reason why I didn't go back. And and with Dave, I guess I could have done exactly what he was saying to me. But there's times I just thought, God, you know, the screaming, yelling, I just don't deal with that. You know, you're talking to grown ass man, you know, and they talk a lot about they're going to do this and that or get violent, but he's not a violent type at all. He's just not. It just I don't like screaming. That's all. I I don't like screaming. I don't like yelling. And um, you know, doesn't have to get personal. But there's a lot of details. A lot of people don't know. And I I do think people who are listening to that show, Dave's show, and and you know, it's not like I keep track. But my brother constantly called me. He was telling like first couple episodes. Well, in the first couple episodes, I didn't do. You know, 70 were on your side and 50 were on the side of Dave or whatever. So, you know, my brother was more than anything upset about the whole thing. But, um, you know, I'm very thankful for the people who, who were sympathetic in my position. And they were, on, they were sympathetic with me without knowing the whole story, at least my side of the story, you know. Because he tried to present me like some irrational, crazy person. And uh, that's a uh, unfair characterization of me, um, you know. If you're going to tarnish somebody, you better say it with facts. And um, he didn't do that. So, well, I, lo- I love the name of this show. Yoshi didn't, and I feel like every show you should say what you didn't do. And I think Yoshi didn't do. Yoshi didn't do DVD ASA. Stop saying. <laughs> I'm not trying to start a war. Uh, no, there isn't a war. Yeah. I, I think I think I think it's being discussed in a very respectful way. Yeah, it's just so many people tweeted me and asking me why did I leave? I'm like, I didn't leave, I was fired, you know. So I think some people are still confused. And I, I, like I said, I'm stubborn, Dave's stubborn, but um, it's just, you know, it just, it's just sad the way it ended. And um, I, I don't, I don't. I like I, the I, earlier, funnier episodes of DVD. Uh, yeah, it, early on, <laughs> there, there was like a funness to it, you know. And that's why I ever wanted that show to be like. We're a bunch of friends of ours talking, having fun. And uh, I don't know why. Sometimes it felt like he had to, you know. You feel like now it's like he's like Nero, like in the sense of like, or Caligula, like you know, now that, that he offed you, that sends a message to everyone else on the show. I mean, I, you so, know. So what is the message to everyone else on the show? Because you were uncomfortable with, he wanted to do, my understanding is he wanted to do a bit with you on the show where he was going to bring out an ex-girlfriend, right? Yeah. And you were... I, I, I think it's not that big a deal. I think it's like... It's, well, you, 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 to you, me, it's a rip-off of a Howard Stern bit. You, it's, it's a total... It's, again, David Cho wanting to be Howard Stern, which and, is fine. But, like... But, to, to most people hearing it... Well, see, it's a bit of a disadvantage for me because... People don't know what we say and what we do before the show and then after the show. Right. And things that happened in the past. And in KGB, the previous podcast I was working, Dave, I told him something personal about me when I, when I was a kid. And I told him, just don't bring it up. Um, you, know, you know, just please don't be, bother me with therapy and girlfriend and stuff like that. Because I gave him the same courtesy. He got angry with me one year on his birthday. Mm-hmm. I got him a bunch of books about tax auditing. <laughs> and uh, uh, taxation, things like that, five or six, because he was gambling a lot, and he wasn't paying tax and winning. So I was worried about him. So mm-hmm. it was half joke, but other half I was serious. Like, Dave, this is your birthday present. I'm concerned for you. I don't want you to get in trouble by a government or whatever. And like, maybe you need to pay attention to these things, right? He, he's like, you know, whatever. 
A couple years later, he yelled at me because he got audited. It, mm -hmm. If as though I had something to, to do with it. And another time, he, I heard he, he might have lost money in Vegas or something, so I called him like, Dave, I'm concerned for you because you not go to Vegas. And he's screaming at me, phone saying, mind your own fucking business, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, he's right. It's none of my business. You know what I mean? It, it really is not my business. And he, he, was, he was right, so I never brought it up. Just like it's none of his business he's trying to get involved with my therapy or ex-girlfriend. He made a promise he won't bring that shit up again three years ago. So when I come back on this damn podcast when he did that, I was angry because we're a bunch of, we're men. You know, you should keep your words. What does that word mean to you? And um, Dave will always say he doesn't remember. He, uh, you know, he does whatever. At the end of the day, Chris, Chris Dave will always do what he want to do. He doesn't give a shit about any other people's rule. And this is why people listen to Yoshi Didn't. It's hilarious stories. Like oh, that wasn't hilarious. I know. I know it wasn't. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to like, I, 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 and I know you didn't even want to talk about it. So, I mean, I, I will talk as much as I, I can, but eventually... There's reason why. It, it's just like in comedy, timing's everything, and and there's time and place for talk about. I will, I will, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold back. I will talk about it, but I have a reason why I'm waiting. So you know, I'm just. I, be, I just want, you, I just want people to be patient. But once when I have, are you gonna be like Michael Corleone? You're gonna be no. the, the baptism of your baby, and it'll be in a church. And then suddenly there'd be a montage of all these things happening. No, no, no. You sure? Oh, absolutely. Be like, us, like you're in a bed with some dude. Then and then something happens to her. She didn't do and anything so, wrong. She was I not. Know. She was, I know. Yeah. I'm, jo I'm joking around. I'm trying to create a stupid visual. But image. you know, Bo Bobby was nice too. But um, yeah. Anyway, the, the the moral story is I don't like getting yelled at. And if you're yelling, I'm going to do exactly opposite what you're asking me to do. What know? if you're really far away and I want you to hear me? What? <laughs> and I need anyway, um, if you're listening to this episode and like you have no idea what was going on, if anyone not, got to the end of this episode, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. But no, no, it's just look. I, I will talk about it. But All right, I, we'll talk but about no, it later. No, I, I talk okay, about so. it. But Chris, I will talk about it. But I want to talk in the way, just matter of fact, like the reason why Dave was angry because I didn't, I didn't do this, and I'll say these are the reasons why I didn't do it. That's all. So anyway, I, I, I really want Chris's opinion, his humor and expertise because there's a lot of things like um, in that show business stuff, you know, and you, you say in a Girl, fun, in, you say in a fun, humorous way. <laughs> and I, 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 I like that. So I also like when you're interacting with your daughter. It's like it was, it's just fun. It's just great to see, oh, you know, you, know you, you did a great job. She's, she's, she's a smart kid, talented one, too. I appreciate it. All right, guys, I will um, hopefully we have another episode with you soon. But, you know, you pick a day, Wednesday or Thursday. So sure, we'll, let's do it. So we'll um, get in this episode coming up soon. How do you end the show? Um, just say goodnight. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any sort of message or... You, oh, you want to end this way, end this one the way you want to end it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, I don't know how you normally end the show. No, I, I just say thanks for listening to the show and goodnight. 